This is a privilege on a baptism Sunday to begin a new vision series called uh, Clear Vision. Because what you just saw is what we're all about as a church. See, Clear Vision is going to be about us remembering and getting clear on what it is that we're supposed to be about here, and you just got it. That people from every walk of life, people from all kinds of backgrounds, people in all kinds of places, people in all kinds of, of, of uh, levels of understanding and maturity are met by Jesus who comes and extends himself in grace to us. He comes. It's such good news. This clear vision is going to be, this sermon series is going to be about our mission statement. The great thing is the text is written on the wall so you don't have to come prepared. Our mission statement is to engage with the spiritually hungry. This is our vision that Marin Covenant would be this church. To engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's inspired, intelligent, and involved. We're going to engage with spiritually hungry people toward Jesus. And we're going to do that with our heart and our head and our hands. It's a great mission statement because you're a great people. And God wants to do great things. Clear vision. I may have told you before, those of you that know me know that I had cataract surgery when I was like 30 years old. I had congenital cataracts. Cataracts are a fogging up of the lens uh, in your eye. And so, uh, so when I was a young man, I just thought that's how everyone saw the world. Like I didn't understand that there was anything other than the way that I experienced it. So in bright light, it was sort of, you know, washed out all the time. People would, you know, read signs that I couldn't see. People would say, hey, take a look at this. And I'd be like, like, how is that? Like, that's too small. Like, like as a young man, I was 18 years old and I couldn't see clearly. Somewhere along the line, a doctor said to me, what are you doing? You have congenital cataracts and they're getting worse. There's a surgery for that. Like, you can fix that. And I'm like, well, how does that work? And they're like, well, we stick a needle in your eye, and then we go from there. <laughs> and so, in fact, uh, so my, my, the guy who did the surgery, he's actually in our church. David, are you in here, David Wong? He, uh, he did the surgery for me, and sure enough, I went in, they, shot, they, they, uh, they deadened my eye, and then they shot an emulsifier in there and dissolved the lens, and then they sucked it out with a vacuum cleaner, and then they stuck another one in there. And I have a glass lenses. Do you sometimes see the reflection from these spotlights? Have you ever seen that in me? Some of you are like, oh, I thought you were some sort of a weird ghost. Yes. <laughs> My eyes sometimes reflect like a cat's in the driveway because, you, because there's no, like my lenses are crystal clear and there's no fogging at all the way that most human lenses are. I am, uh, I am yeah, I'm an automatron. I'm just like, <laughs> and uh, so sometimes it reflects the light in really funny ways. But sure enough, it's like a bad Hallmark movie that when I came out of, of that surgery and then they drove me home, they did one eye at a time, but and I got home and I had to leave the, the, the bandage on or whatever for four hours. And then when it was cool for me to take that off, I remember standing in the kitchen of my old house in Novato and I remember removing the bandage and it was raining outside. And I was like, oh, I could see individual raindrops falling. It wasn't just this haze of gray like it was. And the beauty of it rushed in on me. It was like this epiphany moment. Like, that's what you've all been looking at? <laughs> and a few weeks later, I had the other eye done and crystal clear vision. It was, it's, a, it's a really cool analogy, don't you think? That I was kind of fuzzy about what it is I was looking at and how I was to interact in that world. When we have clear vision, 
It aligns us in a way that all the beauty comes our way, all of the clarity about how to interact with that. We can see it, we can see our way, and we know what it's about. And every couple of years, we're going to blitz through a, a, a series of talking about who we are as a church people because we cannot forget what God put us here to do and to be. And so we're going to talk about clear vision for the next few weeks. And this morning, I just want to introduce the idea of engaging with the spiritually hungry. I'm going to finish that idea next week along with talking about toward a life in Christ. But I want to talk about this idea of engaging, engaging with the spiritually hungry. That's the beginning of our mission statement. I like you to actually, uh, and I use mission statement and vision statement interchangeably, which is probably inappropriate sort of in an organizational, uh, by an organizational expert's opinion. But it is our vision. It's what we're seeing clearly. It's what we know we're to do. And then it becomes our mission at the same time. And so actually, I'm going to have you memorize it with me over the next couple of weeks. And so this first part is that Marin Covenant is here, ready, to engage with the spiritually hungry. We're here to do what? To engage with the spiritually You're so confident because you were just reading it off the wall. That's awesome. Spiritually hungry. Let's just look at that idea of spiritually hungry first, those words spiritually hungry. The idea there is there's an assumption built into our mission statement that every single human being is hungry. It doesn't say that in our mission statement, but that is our, our, our understanding, our presupposition. It comes from the scriptures. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, just a little phrase that's just beautiful, uh, and it, but it kind of gets right at the heart of it. It says that he has also set eternity in the human heart. That our God in creating us in his image and creating us to know and be in a relationship with us, he put eternity, he put the eternal, he put the spiritual, he put the longing for a, a relationship with him that goes beyond even the here and now in every single heart. And that is borne out through all cultures in all times all over the world that people are looking for the transcendent. They're looking for God. And so that's sort of built into this, but that idea, just look at those words again, to engage with the spiritually hungry. We're believing that people are being put in our midst, this is what we believe, that that the, the sovereignty of God is that the people driving by and who finally pay attention, Joanne and Missy, that was awesome, driving by forever, and then the time when it's time to come. Or he puts those people in our circles, because, or he somehow prompts people to walk in the doors of this place because he is addressing, God is addressing in his sovereignty that they're hungry. And we as a church, our clear vision is going to be that we're going to recognize that there's something going on with them. If you're in that place, you may be one of those people. You may be saying, yeah, I'm so in over my head right now. It's like, I just don't know what, what happened. People just went in a horse trough and got wet. Like, I don't understand any <laughs> of what is happening in this room right now. (laughs) Who's running from what grave? Like, what did that song mean? Like, I don't... But there's something stirring inside. See, we think that's the human condition. And what we know, and what we'll get to a little bit more next week, a lot more next week, is that we're moving toward Jesus. That people are hungry spiritually for the transcendence, for a relationship with God, and ultimately for Jesus. And so we said then that we're going to engage with those people. We're going to engage with the spiritually hungry. We're going to engage. We're going to connect with those people on that journey of their hunger. 
When I say those people, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. It made it sound like I was objectifying a group, right? No, no. Every single one of us is spiritually hungry. Every single one of us is longing for God and more of God. And so we're going to engage with one another on this journey because that's how people were created to see clearly, to understand truth, to know God is if we were going to be connecting with one another. And so if you haven't already sensed it in this church, this is a church that connects people with one another, that we engage with the process, we engage with the words, we engage with the offering for goodness sakes, we get up and move to the table, we engage with the sacraments when we do the Lord's table, we engage with one another, we tell you that you grow best when you are connected to other people and we keep hammering you for opportunities to jump on the couple's retreat to come to MCCU, to get in a small group, to have your people around you. We're going to engage with one another toward this life in Christ. And that engage word is simply we're going to be with one another on this journey. We're going to be with them on the journey of being spiritually hungry toward Jesus. It's a journey going somewhere. We're going toward a relationship with God. We're going toward understanding who Jesus is and coming to accept his love and grace for us. We're moving that direction, and we're going to do that together. We're going to be in partnership together about that. Where did we get that idea that we're going to move toward Jesus? Well, we got it from Jesus himself. I misspoke. Where did we get that idea that we're going to engage with one another as we move toward Jesus? That engaging, that touching, that partnering. We got that from Jesus itself. That's how Jesus engaged with people on their journey. He touched him. He connected with them. He got on their journey exactly where they were. Don't you think, when you read the scriptures, we read about Jesus' life, those of you that read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that that's what he did. It's all summed up in this accusation that people made. I'm going to be in this text for two weeks, but I want to just introduce it and look at it. This is from, uh, from Luke chapter 15, the first two verses of Luke 15. I'm just going to put it on the screen for you. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, I want to parse this just a little bit, and I'm going to go into it a little bit further next week, but I want you to understand what's happening right here. This is the main accusation that Jesus had. There was another place, in fact, where that would happen, and they said the exact same thing, almost the same words in a different context. They said, how come he's interacting with, connecting with these tax collectors and sinners? Those are two funny words, isn't it? Tax collectors and sinners. Notice who is there. These tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors were, if you know the history of, of, uh, of the ancient Middle East, the tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Romans who occupied the Jews and this land in Palestine. And so they were the enemies. They were the ones that had traded, they were trading loyalties from the Jewish people and they were working for the man. And they were working for a man who was the Romans who were brutal and violent and overbearing and dominating their culture and their lives. And they were taxing the heck out of them to grow their empire. And so the place wasn't very well off to begin with. Poverty was rampant and the Romans were the cause of this, what's the word? turmoil that's happening in their culture and individually, and the tax collectors were their brothers and sisters who ended up working for the Romans, getting rich on it, by the way, by collecting taxes and keeping part of it for themselves. So tax collectors, if you think about it, is a metaphor for those people that are on the other side of blank, the issue. On the other side, 
They're the enemies. They're the ones who don't see like us. Those are the ones that aren't for us. Those are ones that we have no place of connection for. Those are the ones that we feel some resentment about. Those are ones where there's a relationship that's totally broken. There's, it, they're the ones that we just can't figure out how they're living the way they're living. Do you, do you see what's going on here? And these are people who gathered around Jesus, the people who thought completely differently, and they hung around him. So the tax collectors were there, and who were the sinners? What does it say that for? You, some of your Bibles may have sinners in quotation marks because, because Luke's trying to portray this idea of their, the, the sinners, meaning that's what some would call them. And that simply means those people who weren't socially up to par and specifically weren't religiously up to par because it was religious social dynamic in the Jewish culture. And so they were the non-religious people, meaning they were the people who didn't get it. They were the people who weren't in line with the religion the way that those righteous people understood it. And they were just literally called the sinners. Talk about an us and them culture. So they had God's people and the righteous and holy, and then they had the sinners. Just a show of hands, which category do you? <laughs> and so... Jesus was accused of hanging out with the non-religious outcast people and with the enemies. This text and what he specifically did, it wasn't, it's not even metaphorical. He went and found tax collectors and he went and found people that were out of Jewish fellowship because they were living this life that wasn't in line with what everybody should be doing religiously. And he found those people and he kept surrounding himself with those people, kept surrounding himself. He kept engaging with those people on their journey exactly where they were, and he was making the point. In fact, he even said it. He said, I didn't come for the healthy people. I came for the sick. The healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need to be rescued. And friends, we believe that every single one of us is spiritually hungry. Every one of us is further away from God than we want to be, further away from living the life that God designed us to live in him receiving his grace, walking in faithfulness, receiving his blessing, blessing the world. We're all far away from that. And so this is why it's our mission statement that we're going to walk with people the way that Jesus did on their journey, meeting that spiritual hunger. We're the tax collectors and the sinners. We're the outcast and the non-religious and the people who haven't figured it out and can't work it out. And that's what we do as a church. We're going to walk with everybody that's in that place toward Christ. If I was to sort of, in, in, in essence, sum that up, it's that he engaged with those people long before they ever arrived at the goal of being Christians and believing. They actually belonged in this cadre of followers of Jesus. They belonged in Jesus' grace and relationship. He embraced them and they belonged in that place way before they believed. Churches for too long probably have said, if you believe, then you can belong. And Jesus practiced a ministry of, you come. I'm going to walk with you on the journey and we'll walk there together. And then we'll come to believe. Talk a little bit more about that next week. Think about all of the encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels with people who hadn't arrived. People who hadn't figured it out people who were absolutely clueless. It's every one of us in this church represented through all of these stories in Scripture. It's Peter 
who Jesus washed his feet and then Peter denied him three times immediately after that. It's Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, who he called from the tax collector's booth in front of everybody while that enemy sat on the side. And he's like, Levi, hey, Matthew, that was his, his other name, Matthew, come, you come follow me. And everybody's like, he's a tax collector, you can't do that. And then, and so Matthew's like, I'm having a banquet and a party and we're celebrating that. And all the unrighteous people gathered that place and Jesus attended it. Nobody could figure out what Jesus was about. He received the sinful woman's worship and anointing who crawled up behind the table who wasn't worthy to be in that place because everybody knew the life she'd lived and she wept because of the love of Jesus that she hadn't yet understood. And she remember she, she, she put water on his, her tears on his feet and she kissed them and she wiped them with her hair and everybody's like, what are you doing interacting with this sinful woman? It was Thomas who wasn't with the disciples when Jesus was raised from the dead and everybody said, hey, he's alive, seriously. And Thomas is like, I, I love your certainty. I can't get there. I'm stuck in my unbelief. And they had patience with him and he stayed in that house until Jesus finally came and helped him come along in this journey of belief. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. They shouldn't even have been in Samaria. He shouldn't have been talking to a woman. And he met that woman exactly where she was and helped cultivate her thirst for living water, right? Do you remember all of these stories, you guys? Zacchaeus, the wee little one who was up in the tree. He said to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house tonight. Totally un... I got to be with you. Jesus came and spoke and reached and encountered, called people who hadn't arrived yet. That's what we do. That's our clear vision. And we'll move together toward Christ. More next week on that.